0: So, um, welcome to another in the uh, series of Idea Collider, the Pharma Book Club. Um, and this is, uh, this is a wonderful contrast to the last one, the one with Thomas Hager, which really looked at the history of many of the drugs that we know about in our industry. Um, the wonderful contrast is this, this one, next conversation is really about the future. And it may be about the pharmaceutical industry, it might not be. We, who knows where the pharma interacts with this. But I'm delighted to welcome Jane Metcalf. Um, Uh, And Jane was the founder of Wired Magazine, or one of the founders of Wired Magazine, and and I'm going to say is on to something even more interesting now. So Jane, could you tell us a little bit about you, about Wired, about Neo.life?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, thanks. Well, first of all, Mike, it's delightful to see you and hear you, and thank you so much for letting me participate in your amazing collection of authors and and editors. I mean, your book club is kind of extraordinary. Um, can't it's, believe how many books you read. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, it's, uh, it, 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 it's a spur as well, right? And, and actually, I realized just how much I enjoy doing it. But the, the wonderful news is how many great books there are. So yeah, I, um, I, I agree.
1: Good point. There are a lot of good ideas out there. There's some bad ideas out there too, but hopefully the good ideas will win the day. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and I've basically been following how um, the ideas behind technology transform our world. And with Wired, we watched um, various technologies, basically for for human computer interface and interaction, um, sweep the planet. And we called it a digital revolution. And we made Wired to basically cover the people, companies and ideas that were shaping that revolution and the ways that revolution was going to impact um, our institutions. And so we talked about transforming the workplace. We talked about transforming the marketplace, financial markets. Um, you know, we talked about education and entertainment and communications and design and you know, e- eventually, you know, civic engagement um, as you know politics went online.
2: Yeah.
1: And you know, at a certain point, um, the revolution was over, and we won we declared victory. (laughs) And what was cult became culture. And, um, you know, our little pirate ship, uh, which was Wired Magazine, you know, became a flagship, which was owned by Condé Nast, you know, one of the finest magazine publishers in the world. And, uh, and we moved on. And I kind of lost my enthusiasm for the digital revolution as things became just about making money and about getting people to click through or stay longer or buy more stuff you know it was no longer the dreamers you know thinking about transforming society and I got involved in the food industry and I'd always loved food and farming and that sort of thing and I began to think about um, uh, food as medicine and uh, that was timely because suddenly I had elders to take care of um, and that thrust me into uh, the middle of, you know, the Alzheimer's pandemic and the, uh, the, the mental illness pandemic in this country. And so I started thinking about neuroscience and what the leading edge was and who the experts were. And, you know, was there really no better course than the ones the doctors were laying out? Were there no better drugs than the ones, you know, that they were administering And, and, you know, I began to look at the legal and the social and the financial implications of mental illness and Alzheimer's and, I began to think about um, the need for another revolution, Um, you know, three and a half, a half, $3.6 trillion spent on healthcare. We know at least 30% of that is wasted. You know, could we possibly agree on which 30%, (laughs)
2: you
1: know? Um, So I began reading and going to conferences and all of a sudden I thought, there is a revolution underway. And I met extraordinary people who reminded me of, the digital revolutionaries that I'd met in the late 80s and early nineties, in that, you know, they have incredible skills. They have, unlike my computer friends, they have many, many, many years of very specialized training. Uh, and they have big ideas about how they can transform, you know, the medical world, but more more intrinsically, more fundi- fundamentally, how they can transform human health. Yeah. And so I said, Wow, I can't believe I've got another story of the lifetime you know and i declared a neo-biological revolution and started a, a new company to track it
0: and well i'm, I'm, I'm pleased you did it was because i think you know you, you were at Wired when i used to think it was an interesting magazine <laughs> <laughs> because it covered it a bit like rolling stone right it kind of lost its its it its way along the way or maybe i grew out of it or something but i i, I echo everything that you're saying and i think that the interesting thing is how little farmer is interacting with that world that you're describing, you know, as you're describing the dreamers and the thinkers and the, uh, um, you know. So I'm interested in, I mean, certainly this book, which I'm going to ask you, is also a physical book, right? You know, in in this in this new world, it's a beautiful physical book as well. And I think that you know, yeah. I, I, I I admire your dedication to photography and art and and writing, uh, in in here as well. Could you give us yeah. something? Uh, yeah. So some inspiration for it?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, when I first started Neolife, I thought, these are really important ideas. They can't just fly through your inbox. They can't just be, you know, one click and the idea's gone and you'll never find it again and you forgot about it and whatever. It's like, this stuff needs to be grounded. Mm-hmm. And I realized that a lot of the science and technology that we are reporting on right now is foundational. You know, a lot of things, this is like the sedimentation layer that Jeremy talks about, you know, it's like the science and technology that we're laying down right now is going to be the foundation that all the rest of it is built on, you know, the, the neural networks and the machine learning and the artificial intelligence, you know, the new layers of understanding of, uh, of the human immunome with the vaccines that we layer in, you know, the, the, the hacking that we do around longevity and our health you know that's another layer and all these things will become you know it'll it'll continue to build until things get better but you know the history of this is important and i thought i need to tie these ideas down to a page you know and i want remember you know in the wire days i would carry the magazine like this not like this right i would carry it with the brand facing out and Everybody wanted to be seen carrying Wired magazine because it meant I'm hip to the future, I'm all about change, I'm all about making the world a better place. Yeah. And you know, we don't have those badges in digital media. And, you know, if you want to signal to the people in your waiting room, you know, that you are a change maker and that you are thinking about the future and that you were planning for a better world, you know, I thought if you had this beautiful artifact from the future, you know, this bright and shiny thing, um, the people would go, what's that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I find as well that art is a really good way to take people outside of their day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to start a conversation. Um, and it's a really good way to make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's part of what we need to be doing is making people uncomfortable. Um, not because I like to torture people or pull the wings off of flies or something, but, you know, if you're buzzing around doing the same thing and not getting different results or worse getting declining results, then we need to take you outside of that comfort zone and expose you to provocative ideas. Um, just to see how that can help transform where we
0: are. And it's, a, it's such an interesting period, uh... Was reflecting last week listening at the fortune meeting to Neil Ferguson you know the um, you know very famous I don't want to say futurist and he said he's got around to reading science fiction more these days than, than, than just medicine or anything historical because actually science fiction explores some possibles in a way that people are often uncomfortable doing now and in, in a way I'm gonna paint your book as a kind of science fiction um, Uh, you know set of possibilities um and I think that discomfort comes through it but just to contrast this with a Thomas Hager conversation he talks about this kind of golden period in the 50s and 60s when I think observation was often more useful than just rational thought and processing and I think what you just laid out in this book I think is is a collection of Of Thoughts about what might be possible and some people will make connections that others won't some people will observe some things that others won't Um, But maybe you tell tell us a little bit more about the the kind of structure how you went about, you know building this um, You know this this series of chapters
1: So I want to pick up on two things you said there before I answer your question (laughs) Um, Going back to the science fiction thing Um, So there is some flat-out science fiction in the book. Yeah, um, but there's also scientists basically thinking forward mm. to you know a, a vision for humanity, um, which isn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily call it fiction. It's more yeah. um, you know visual, visioning sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And to me, it's really really interesting how important science fiction writers have become mm. to corporations trying to grapple with what the future looks like. Mm. So. Mm the whole concept of design thinking has really evolved over the course of the last 10, 15 years, um, to the point where, you know, it's sort of a routine exercise that executives at top corporations would engage in. And, you know, what better way to lead your organization forward than to think forward to a future 25 or 50 or hundred years from now, and then back it out to, therefore, what do we do today? And, um, and to me, and, and so that's why science fiction writers are increasingly being invited in to build worlds yeah. because that's what they do, they're world builders. So they build these worlds and then they basically leave them in the hands of the management team to figure out, okay, if that's where we're going, what do we do today? And I find that incredibly exciting. Yeah. To me, that is the very definition of progress. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like science fiction both for fiction but I also like it as a, as a literally a business productivity
0: Tool strategic sort of of prototypes against which we can, you know, gauge whether our ethics are right, are right at the moment, or our processes. Yeah.
1: Well, and I like the way you say whether our ethics are right at the moment, because our ethics changes the technology changes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And then the other thing you said was, um, you know, that medicine has been about observation, Mm. and you know, what is the difference between a biologist and an engineer, and and a biologist is observing. Um, and discovering reality. An engineer is reverse engineering reality. They're pulling it apart and trying to figure out how it works and then put it back together again. I mean, all these engineers and computer scientists start off a conversation about, well, tell me about your childhood. Well, I pulled apart the radio and then it was the TV and then it was, you know, whatever. And so what's really interesting is, you know the combination of that too, um, yeah. and increasingly giving um, technical tools to biologists so they can pull DNA apart so they can pull a cell apart so they can pull um, you know a virus apart and break it down into its constituent components and yeah. you know figure out where it's going what it's doing so um, so with the book what we wanted to do is and and what I discovered was that in talking to these biologists who have these extraordinary tools um, you know I was like wow we're, we're literally going to transform our species like in the next five years with CRISPR and you know gene editing with um longevity hacks with you know neuroscientific you know um the uh, neuroelectric intervention interventions um you know with sensors everywhere it's like you know we're literally going to transform our species what does this new species look like yeah. and they all looked at me like oh this is going to be a fun dinner party and i was like no really no i'm serious like what what is your vision? What are you working towards? And and I realized that um, you know people are busy doing their little piece, you know, and um, and not necessarily thinking about how it fit into a bigger picture. No. And so what we wanted to do was just get a collection of people. Some of them extremely well known, like you know George Church. Um, uh, some of them you know up and comers, uh, like Kristen Fortney from BioAge. Who? Gosh, I mean, she's she's older than she looks, but she looks like she's in her early twenties. Um, <laughs> and you know, just start asking the questions. What are you building towards? How does your technology? How does your science fit into a bigger picture about where we're going? Mm-hmm. And um, so we looked across the landscape, and you know, you could get very broad when you talk about biological tools. You could actually talk a lot about. Um, energy and materials, you know, with huge implications for climate change. Um, when you talk about tools, you could talk about artificial intelligence and, you know, the rise of the robots and all of that. And I feel like those conversations are already happening. There are already centers of innovation and communities and, and so forth um, on those two frontiers, which are totally um, um, adjacent to what we're doing, but I wanted to just focus on the human, um, you know, this like messy, complicated, hard to understand, leaky, you know, um, but constantly evolving um, homo sapiens. And so um, so yeah, so we we selected people um, across all these different domains uh, and asked them, you know, what's your vision for the future of of our species?
0: nice. and And you've got, I mean, I'm going to say three interesting they're not quite sections because they're not, it's not done in section format. Right? So you go across the kind of, you know, you've got roadmaps, creative briefs, and dreams. Was that was that your original design or did that, was that <laughs> kind of imposed afterwards?
1: Yeah, not so much the original design. Um, you know, we kind of let the, the, the community um, give us their visions. And then we said, all right, how can we make sense of this? We did not guide them or direct them um but the roadmaps are um basically i I think of it as a product roadmap you know what i've been saying is you know what's your next tool after that and after that and after that that's just always part of our conversation Mm -hmm. but you know i think that's part of the issue is people are just building their technologies without an overarching creative brief and so the Roadmap section are the stories that are about technologies and tools um, The creative briefs are about visions about like what are the values? What are the things we care about? What are the things we worry about? How do we keep this on track and the dreams are just The art the science fiction, you know, the visuals of, of where it's all going mm. So that's kind of how it breaks down.
0: No, it's interesting and I don't I felt like the creative briefs almost provided the kind of you know, the answer is looking for questions, if you like, of, you know, things that we could be thinking about doing differently. Um, and and I like the way that you began with, you know, you call it a manifesto in the book. Uh, can you tell us more about your manifesto?
1: So I wanted to, to have some kind of a galvanizing, um, uh, thought piece, uh, that people could understand what we're talking about you talk about the future of homo sapiens that's a little airy you know for people particularly people in the pharma industry um and uh and i thought well i mean it, it is like a creative brief um and but it but it would be an attempt to have sort of a blueprint you know so that everybody you know i'm, I'm rebuilding my house after a flood right now and um You know, you've got some bones there. People roughly know, yeah, the kitchen was there, still there, you know, but without the blueprint, you know, people could be wandering off in a lot of different directions. And a lot of those could be wrong. They could be bad ideas, you know, back to the idea of bad ideas. Um, And so the idea for manifesto was like, let's collect all the good ideas, you know, and let's like put them together and let's see if there's any agreement, you know, that we can come to. I'm reminded of a friend uh, who's very involved in interfaith um, activities, trying to bring bridge the world's religions. Um, and you know, they they started out by discovering that in every single religion there is a golden rule, like do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Okay. And so it's like I'm sort of I'm sort of, you know, looking for the golden rules of biology. And the manifesto was sort of our first rough 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 draft of that and you know the simple process of saying let's do a manifesto is really more a um a wake-up call because i don't think we're anywhere near ready to to print you know and distribute a manifesto i think the first and most important thing that needs to happen is we need to get everybody around the table and that would be a very large table (laughs) <laughs> and so, you know, my goal with Neolife is to basically go into different communities around the world and, um, and start having these conversations. You know, what is your vision for the future of Homo sapiens? And let's talk about how that's not only different from the vision from this group over here, but let's find the things that are in common and let's, yeah. let's champion those. Let's yeah. promote those. Let's distribute those.
0: And that parallel with Wired, I think, is is there, right? You Because know, you were writing at a time when no one really knew what was going to happen with the technology. Um, but everyone had a wild idea about what it might do. And then that, you know, there was some, you know, something emerged from that. that was, you know, some of it was expected, some of it was unexpected. I think that, the, you know, these roadmaps, I think, are probably the same thing, which is, you know, we're all talking about these remarkable adjacent technologies. But actually, there, there are very few people who've got a, a way to stitch them together into something bigger or more potent or 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 whatever at the moment.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a big problem in medicine, um, you know, which is different from, um, you know, cyberspace, right? Cyberspace, everybody's building it. You can see what they're building and it's, you know, pixel by pixel, you know, bit by bit. We have this, you know, messy thing that's evolved over tens of thousands of years, you know, that's in conjunction with a much larger, you know, biome that's evolved over millions of years. And so, you know, these are very intricate uh, relationships and the sedimentation level here is like profound. And so um, it's not simple and we can't be arrogant about it. You know, we have to, um, we have to be very, very humble, even as we, with our bravado, you know, start doing gene edits, you know. So it's a, it's a really interesting tension. And, you know, the question is like with the vaccine conversation, you know, how fast do we go? You know, we've got new tools, we've got new platforms, we can have new protocols. We could skip a lot of steps right now. You know, we could advance a lot of technologies right now because the whole world is focusing on one problem. Mm -hmm. What an enormous opportunity, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's like collaborations happening. There's like, open source, you know, people are sharing their data, nobody's grabbing the intellectual property, you know, there's a bunch of people who have IP, we're trying to race to the finish line. But it is this glorious moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, how can we take advantage of this to really um, share the processes that aren't working for us? You know?
0: Yeah. yeah. It's Well, it, I think it's a, it's a really interesting moment. Uh, conversation with Thomas Hager he said look if he was doing the book now he would be writing a chapter about hydroxychloroquine yeah Yeah. and because you know maybe we have fumbled the ball there as well which is you know the, the, the amount of study it's had probably doesn't work but we don't know that it doesn't and we just that it doesn't. Um, so all of the great adjacent technologies, all of the great collaborations and actually politics is getting in the way of of whether we, we do or don't uh, agree on whether a drug works.
1: So this is something I'm really interested in. I'm so happy to hear about your, um, about your podcast and about this book because um, I, I really don't know enough history of drugs and I don't know if there's ever been quite as political a drug as this i mean i know smallpox vaccines were very political mm-hmm. um but you know i would love pills
0: and, yeah yeah what's yeah. that contraceptive pills i think would probably be the closest right yeah. right
1: yeah. right of course that's not you know it, it's solving a problem but it's not curing a disease
0: yeah, yeah.
1: but yeah. yeah so i'm super interested in how hydroxychloroquine became so so political yeah. um you know yeah. and know the remdesivir thing is another question altogether it became political because of buying the forward production right um so in that sense it became political but the drug itself you know wasn't political
0: yeah yeah so i mean one thing that struck me through this book is this explosion of possibilities and in the middle of it you've got you know just to come back to that conversation these kind of dumb humans trying to make make our way through it um you know, if, if you were to look back over, let's say, 20, 30 years of, you know, technology and biology and, and so forth, and then look forward 30 years, do you think it looks more like the last 30 years, or do you think it looks different?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I I think uh, it's entirely possible it will look very much like the last 30 years, unless we do something differently. Hmm. So the question is, do we want it to look like the last 30 years?
2: No. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, you know, I think what we saw was... Um, a lot of exponential growth and change, um, yeah. and a lot of it was done without a lot of cohesive planning. Yeah. You know, things sprouted up, and everybody would—it's like the first grade, you know, soccer game. You know, everybody runs over there because that's where the ball is. You know, and then the ball's over here now. And yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I just—I think all the time about the difference between the digital revolution and the neo biological revolution. About Um, you know, the risk um, factors, about the structural um, realities, about um, the regulatory differences. And, you know, it's clear that um, biology and medicine could do well to have a lot of that regulatory and infrastructure lifted. Um, You know, do we want to pull the top off completely? No, Um, because I think it is very different. And I think we've seen, I think the 30 years that have passed since, you know, we declared the digital revolution, I think we've seen what can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, what I worry about are, you know, people who think the business model needs to be figured out before the innovation is launched uh, before the discovery is developed. um, Because that seems like a way to shut things down. You know, I've been to, uh, CRISPR conferences where the ethicists are like, I think we just need to stop. You know, let's just stop and have these conversations. It's like, there's no point in having the conversations if we stop. The conversations only make sense as we go, and as we develop this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And on the other hand, we also know that if you don't imbue a technology right from the start with your values, um, it's very hard to go back after the fact and reengineer inclusion, you know, or diversity, or um, uh, or some other kind of value. So, I do think this is a really important time to be having conversations across all of these domains. You know, starting with, let's make sure that geneticists are talking to the neuroscientists, the neuroscientists are talking to the longevity people, the longevity people are talking to the, you know, microbiome people. You know, let's at least start having those conversations. Yeah. Um, and then we need to separately layer in the sociologists, the anthropologists, the ethicists, the religious leaders, the indigenous leaders. Um, you know, and and we can talk about these things on in terms of national boundaries, but the virus knows no boundary. Right. And, you know, we know that Chinese genetic engineers um think very differently from American genetic engineers. You know, there's the famous case of uh of the conference where um, the Americans were talking about um, how difficult it is to be able to judge on behalf of a family, what is or is not a viable, you know, embryo. Um, and they were talking about the example of the deaf community, how deaf parents would welcome a deaf child into the community and they would share the rich language and culture of, of being deaf. And the Chinese scientists are saying, well, yeah, we, we wouldn't implant that. You know, that that's non-viable. Why would you do that? So, right. you know, these, these conversations should be happening and yeah. people should be making their own choices, but um, we have to acknowledge and respect those differences.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I've, I've heard you talk, you know, about the kind of ethics of, of a lot of what we're facing, you know, as, as choices. And um, I think the last time I saw you talk about ethics was in San Francisco and it was... It was interesting because I, I, I just read then about the origin of transplantation as a science, and most of the people who were given organs, you know, died. You know, well, so all of them died. Um, and the question that was posed in this article was: If that was today, no one would allow this, you know, this individual to continue. Had they not continued, we wouldn't have transplantation today. You know, so these, um, you know, and we're certainly facing this with uh, coronavirus kind of challenge studies or vaccine studies or or, or, or whatever. Um, But we're doing natural experiments with our own ethics about what what we like and what we don't like uh, at the moment. Um, You know, and I welcome that the book covers some of that uh, sort of thinking, but your view of the ethics, I think, must be informed by your views of the sort of digital world uh, as we look at it today.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, one of our contributors, uh, a dear friend and somebody who's had an enormous influence on my thinking is um, Juan Enrique. Uh, And if you haven't seen his TED Talks, I highly recommend them. He's been thinking about the bioeconomy for decades. and um he's got a new book coming out on ethics um and you know when we talk about situational ethics uh today you know that's that's a that's an insult that's that's a bad thing um and he kind of repositions the whole concept of situational ethics he's like you know ethics will evolve as fast as our technology does yeah Um, and i really i I don't know what the title of the book i probably should um i've read an advanced copy of it but um but i'm really looking forward to that and He does write an essay in our book um, About diversity and so it's uh, it's one of the creative briefs. It's called um, True human diversity is finally possible Will we be ready? Right and you know, I think this kind of gets to the heart of it You know, we have very 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 tiny percentage of our dna Differs from you know, the pygmy bush people and my you know, english ancestors Uh, And yet look at the huge amount of trouble we have getting along respecting each other's differences, you know Mm. Um, He talks about there being 15,000 species of birds, you know, can you imagine we have one? Species of hominid, you know, and homo sapiens basically clobbered all of the other, you know, hominids um, And and has kept them down. So what happens, you know, how do we get to that? You know the the Star Wars uh, cantina on, it's not Tatooine, I forget what what planet it's on, you know, where you've got all these different shapes and people and, you know, yeah, there's some tensions, but um, diversity is future-proofing, you know, our species. Uh, The more diversity we have, the better able we will be to withstand things like climate change or an asteroid or, you know, whatever, uh, a global pandemic,
2: right, so.
0: Yeah. So, and so if I bridge that into what you said about your interest in the food world, you know, I think we've spoken before about my, uh, my kind of fun boy ne- uh, approach to the third plate, the Dan Barber book about the future of yeah. food. I mean, I saw this in, in 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 a way of this sort of same exploration about, you know, when we're forced to think about it, you know, and he, I think he arrives at some of the same conclusions about, you know, diversity and monocultures and, uh, um, and how technology helps instead of hinders and, uh, also, with a look back to, 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 to the way that things were. Um, and you address that here as well, I think, in, in, in many of the chapters.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I learned watching the cacao industry, um, where, you know, they used a genetically modified um, strain of cacao in Ecuador, uh, which then became, you know, the dominant species. And so, you know, they cut down all that beautiful forest where cacao normally grows you know, it's a middle story, so there's an overstory and an understory, and that, you know, polyagricultural phenomenon allows for all kinds of birds and bees and, you know, and resistance, um, and instead they, like, cut it all down, they put all these, um, you know, new strains, which, you know, granted are less less uh, susceptible to some of the problems in the past, but all it's going to take is one thing, you know, right. and it could wipe out the entire crop,
0: yeah. so a bit like a virus (laughs) and released across the planet at the moment. I am
1: so interested in the genetic basis of COVID. I just think this is, you know, the beginnings of some really interesting studies and understandings. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if we find that there is, um, that there are a few mutations that either make you more susceptible or conversely give you um, immunity, you know, will we force parents to Edit those genes from embryos in the future. I mean, what would you do to stop another global pandemic? You know, where are the boundaries between your individual rights as a family and our rights as 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 a globe, as a as a public uh, uh, yeah. community?
0: Yeah, I. I mean, I, I'm slightly more pessimistic about the the ability of humans to make those kind of collective decisions. I think that. Uh, um, you know I've always said the, the, the kind of thing about this, these movies where you know aliens come and uh, and attack us and we mount a defenses that we were able to mount a coordinated defense because you, know, you, you can guarantee that there'll be politics and you know uh, world leaders involved in the in, in that conversation um, but you're because in the book, I mean, especially the roadmaps, you're sort of you're almost talking about you know these things are possible. We could create our own microbiome. We could you know uh, decide which memories we're gonna you know, decide to keep or which ones we're gonna create or you know to to, to live virtually or, or whatever. So many possibilities that really do you know drive these kind of conversations about what's desirable and and what's not, which then leads back into into that engineering thing.
2: You know.
1: The Olympics are are a fantastic um, place to kind of watch this all play out, right? I mean, we've seen sports where, you know, doping has just so thoroughly dominated that you literally can't compete without doping. And, you know, I think we are not far from a place where we can have, you know, the supers and the naturals. You know, it's sort of like we have the Special Olympics. We can have, you know, we'd have the Special Olympics. We can have the Natural Olympics. Then we can have the Super Olympics, you know. It's like, and the yeah. Super can be like all those bodybuilders and, uh, you know, yeah. with people taking all their steroids and blood doping and who knows what else. I mean, that alone would be a really interesting beat. You know, right. it's like, what's the latest science for, you know, Supreme Athletic, uh, yeah. uh, um, you know, performance, um, you know, yeah. starting with gene editing. You know, what if the football, you know, the famous quarterback, you know, like has kids and like literally breeds the next generation of quarterbacks, you know, Mm -hmm. what edits Mm -hmm. would they make? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there will always be people who want to compete genuinely on their own without, you know, aids and enhancement. Um, And I think there'll be people who think that's ridiculous. You know, I want every possible advantage and, you know, this is progress, right? I mean, We are running faster today than ever before we are stronger today than ever before, you know, how much further can we push it?
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: it's a really interesting question. And, you know, it is in our nature to look for that answer.
0: Yeah Well, I would say I think probably the you know, my conclusion from the book was really it raised more questions than answers which May not have been what the authors intended but certainly, you know, across the piece you start asking yourself questions um, as you read the different perspectives and you read the different what ifs and the, and the different possibilities and, and the challenges of, of doing it. Um, and I think that's probably a, that, that's a nice outcome from a book is to think about questions rather than these being answers because I, I don't think any of them are presenting them as answers. It would, would that be a fair summary?
2: Yeah,
1: um, and I was just reminded of a conversation that I was having with an artist, uh, scientist, artist, engineer. And, um, you know, I was the entrepreneur and this band was, you know, the, the scientist artist. And, um, you know, he was asking all these interesting questions about where this is all going. And, um, and I was like, yeah, so what's the answer? And it's like, that's what the scientist and artists do, you know, yeah. is they pose the question. They get you to think differently. They open up possibilities. You know, the engineers and the entrepreneurs are normally charged with having the answer. And Mm so, you know, how can we move forward with um, a clear understanding that we are moving forward with ambiguity? You know, that's what we need to get comfortable with.
0: Yeah, and become comfortable with uncertainty. So um, just in uh, acknowledging the time, um, this is a book. Uh, Is there a follow-up book planned uh, in development? Uh, How can people follow the Neo Life journey uh, the way that they proudly held their wired magazines aloft
1: <laughs> exactly um, well we loved doing print i have to say this was really fun and exciting for me to come back to print um, so we will definitely do more print whether it's a book or whether it's um in the form of like a quarterly magazine uh remains to be seen um you know we sort of of all the topics that we cover the future of our species was the broadest take on it and it was sort of know, what we wanted to lead with, but we would like to go uh, more deeply into each of these areas, the future of food and longevity and artificial reproductive uh, uh, technologies, you know, all those sorts of things. So they'll definitely be more print from us in the future. Um, We also want to do a podcast. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of stories uh, that we can tell, and I want to help tell those stories in whatever format is more, most convenient for, our community Hmm. Um, you know the goal with this was to then launch live events and um, we had a series of events planned Um, and uh, you know the 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 first uh, virtual event that we did uh, was celebrating our Boston-based contributors and I think that was um, fun and interesting but it it my vision for events was so different that I thought you know what I'm going to take this time I'm regrouping a little bit um, in the meantime, you can sign up for a newsletter um, and it's www.neo.life. You know, and I'm checking out, they say, Oh, is that neo.life at gmail.com? It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. It's <laughs> neo.life because .life is a domain name. Yeah. So it is literally neo.life. So you yeah. can sign up there and uh, keep abreast of what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, cool. LinkedIn.
0: Yeah. And and you know, that, that, the idea that there is a community because I think this is, this is one of those things where, you know, who knows where someone's going to come from and knit some of this stuff together. I think that, uh, you know, cause it isn't just a pharmaceutical community. It isn't just a, uh, um, you know, a scientific group, I think that the connectors are probably going to be the most potent people in the future. You know, the, the kind of combiners and the connectors. So, um, so, so, you know, thank you for starting the journey. I think it's uh, it, it, it's much appreciated. And thank you for making such a beautiful book. Um, oh, thank it, uh, you. It's, it's probably on the shelf now. Um, oh. the, the, the one challenge I had was because I'm used to highlighting everything in, the, in my Kindle now so I can remember it later. Um, so, so it was way harder having to go back to the old manual uh, methodology this time.
1: Well, I hope that you know Armageddon comes in, in the apocalypse. You know, all of our digital stuff will be lost, but people will dig up this thing, and it'll be like this time capsule. And yeah. they'll go back and they'll say, "What did people think in 2020?" You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Fantastic. Michael. Yeah, Jane. Thank you so much for uh, for, for, for joining us, and um, and good luck with uh, with the first live event
2: (laughs) thank you so much mike i appreciate inviting you inviting me on
0: i appreciate it